Are you struggling to keep up with the demands of managing and securing identity in your distributed enterprise IT environment? You're not alone, but don't let it hold you back. With Strata's identity orchestration platform, you can secure all your apps on any cloud with any IDP, so your IT teams will never have to refactor for identity again. Imagine modernizing app identity in minutes instead of months, deploying passwordless on any trickled app, and achieving business resilience with always-on identity, all from one lightweight and flexible platform. Want to see it in action? Share your identity challenge with us on a discovery call, and we'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cloudcast. That's strata.io slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to The Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is Aaron for Cloud News this week. It is the end of March. I cannot believe it is the end of March. But we're going to jump right into Cloud News this week. Our first article comes from Massimo over at AWS, longtime friend of the show. And he had a really fascinating blog that I, I read and kind of drew my attention to it. It was Kubernetes as a platform versus Kubernetes as an API. And really think of it this way, because there's lots of graphics in there. So I encourage everyone to go to the show notes and click on the link if you want to see this more in depth. But think of it this way, Kubernetes, and draw a line. And where is the infrastructure that is owned and operated by AWS that you're paying for? And really, you know, any provider, when you come to think of it, and what is owned and operated by you? What is your responsibility and what is the cloud provider's responsibility? With something like Kubernetes, it can be above or below the line. And that's what this article explores. It goes into Kubernetes is just my control plane and the data plane. And basically, AWS is only the base services. And then it goes into, if you want to in, integrate and have Kubernetes is some of the control plane and some of the data plane, right? For instance, like if you move the databases to Amazon RDS, um, or if you start to use load balancers and the load balancer service. And, and what happens when you start to move things above the line or below the line? And can you actually get to a point where everything is below the line? In this instance, everything would be managed by AWS. And all you're doing is one big API. It's something that actually isn't 100% possible today, but was a really fascinating article. And it really got me thinking about this whole above the line, below the line, and how things could work for customers. So like I said, encourage everyone to go take a look. For our second article, Microsoft is back at it with AI. Uh, they announced Microsoft 365 AI-powered Copilot. Um, it is in a, I think the official term is beta, but it's in a limited release, if you will, right now. Now, I do like the, this is an Ars Technica article. 
Um, they compare it to an omniscient version of Clippy, which that just cracks me up. Um, the last thing we always wanted was, you know, Clippy suggesting things to you. And now we have AI doing almost exactly the exact same thing. So in the, in the um, demonstration of all of this, this is um, Copilot writing emails, pulling in file attachments, and really doing things in an automated fashion within the Microsoft 365 suite. Um, it's fascinating and something I'm definitely going to continue to follow. For our third and final article, this is a short one, but I thought it was a good one. It's a good introduction. It was uh, over at the um, Container Journal, and it, the title is The CICD Process in a Cloud-Native World. And I've done a lot of reading over the years on CI, CICD pipelines and how you build them and what is going on with all of that. But then this one also really says, hey, here's what it was before. And then here's how CICD is changing in a cloud-native environment. Here's some additional things you have to think about, you know, infrastructure as code, observability, the breaking up of everything into microservices. Um, I thought it was a good article, like I said, a short article, very, very quick read, but certainly worth it as well. So with that, I'm going to close out cloud news for this week. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about open telemetry with Gordon Radline, Director of Engineering at Datadog. Kubernetes, Envoy, and Prometheus. You've heard the project names, but are you curious to learn more about adoption or current cloud-native trends? Join the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, CNCF, for KubeCon plus CloudNativeCon Europe 2023 on April 18th through 21st in Amsterdam. Whether you're new to the world of cloud native and open source or want to refine your knowledge, the event offers something for everyone. The event also offers virtual and in-person ticketing options. As a special offer for listeners, we're offering complimentary virtual registration. Please use the code KCEUVCCP while supplies last. That's KCEUVCCP while supplies last. And don't worry, we'll put the digits in the show notes. Are you getting pressure from finance to justify or reduce your cloud bill? CloudZero is the only cloud cost platform loved by engineers and trusted by finance. CloudZero can identify unused, idle, or over-provisioned resources, alert you to spend anomalies, and organize 100% of your spend into a framework that mirrors your business structure, like cost per customer, product feature, or team. It's the most powerful platform ever built to provide accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. Manage cost, optimize development, and maximize profit all in one platform. Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Visit today to experience immediate and ongoing savings on your cloud bill. And we're back. And Aaron, we are getting towards the end of March. Hopefully this is uh, between the two of us. One of the last shows in which we, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of projecting the, uh, the horrors of, uh, of, uh, you know, the spring pollen here in, in the South, but uh, man, how are you doing these days? How you been? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I, definitely feeling a little better. I, I feel like it's become just a, a great running joke year after year on the podcast right now. But yeah, pollen is getting behind us. Um, for those that, you know, kind of follow the triathlon stuff, I'm I'm starting to really ramp up to my next big race here coming up in a few months. And so I'm, I'm now tired all the time. So like, Hey, I can breathe, but now yeah, I'm tired. Yeah. Well, 
as a as a as a segue to that, as a as a way to sort of jump off of that uh, with you you training, one of the things you do with your training, you you know, you've reached a point in which you are uh, maniacal about wanting data about you know how you train, what what's your heart rate, what's your oxygen levels, what's your exhaustion levels, and all those sort of things. And I think the you know the parallel in our world in the cloud world is you know people as they build out environments, as they scale environments, as they're trying to figure out what's going on with applications, performance, scalability, cost, all those sort of things. You got to have, you got to have a lot of data and you got to have the right kind of data to measurement, measure that. And, and that sort of fits into this bucket that people talk about as, as telemetry. Um, you know, we talk about metrics and logs and a lot of things, but it's really, it all sort of falls into telemetry. And, you know, it's a topic that we haven't dug into in a while. Um, there's been a lot of evolution in that space. And so today, uh, very, very excited um, have a guest who has just a ton, a ton of experience in this. So very excited to have Gordon Redline, who is Director of Engineering at Datadog. Uh, Gordon, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You, uh, as I as I kind of mentioned there in the open, um, you're at Datadog, but you have a ton of really large-scale experience having uh, built infrastructure, uh, managed these environments, had to, you know, deal with with all of the, the data that they deliver. Give us a quick background, you know, quick uh, set of background of what, uh, you know, sort of your background, but also then, you know, what you're focused on at Datadog. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm currently at Datadog. I mean, I, I guess I'll go into that uh, at, at the end, but uh, prior to my current role at Datadog, I was at uh, Facebook, now Meta, um, uh, working in the kind of distributed tracing ecosystem there, um, owning kind of the platform, the APIs, and um, how we made use of the data. Uh, Prior to that, I was at Etsy. I was a director of uh, product infrastructure there. Um, kind of leading teams across the stack from, you know, front-end infrastructure to, um, you know, custom storage systems. Um, Part of that, I was an SRE manager at Google. I worked uh, on, uh, to support the Colossus SRE team. So Colossus is Google's kind of um, cluster-level distributed file system. It's kind of the root of some of the more popular storage systems you've heard about like big table and spanner um part of that i was at etsy again working in the search space infrastructure ranking um before that a whole host of random things i did my own kind of tried my hand at a startup an email thing worked in the online gaming space doing uh let's see player analytics and and bot detection for online poker networks and you know a whole bunch of other random random bits um that's oh, sorry. I was gonna say, Gordon, that, that that's super fascinating because like it, it's interesting how data can be like a thread through all of those different areas in your career. It's really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's I've actually gone back and reflected on kind of how I slowly got into the observability space um, and ended up where I am today. And I think that's, that's exactly right. There's been this kind of thread, um, you know, I've always kind of had to operate the systems that we built. Um, Observability has been a key part of that. And, you know, my career progression uh, could be seen through one lens as kind of running up against the constraints of the current tooling and finding something better and just kind of doing that over and over and over until now I'm in a place where we're, we're building the tooling. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, nice. Nice. Uh, so Gordon, let me ask you this. Um, I mean, cause we'll kind of step back because I, you know, it's, it, I feel like definitions are, are super important, especially when it comes to like observability, because I feel like that word alone has taken on a whole meaning. Um, so, so help us kind of connect the dots real quickly between like, okay, when you say te- telemetry, what do we mean? And, and then there's logs and there's metrics and their observability, like give us kind of the basics of the terminology before we dig in to open telemetry and some of the other things. Sure. So, yeah, let's, well, let's start with telemetry. All right, so telemetry is really just the data that gets generated by any sort of instrumentation uh, you have, right? And instrumentation in the software context is is, is code written for the purpose of uh, measuring or recording behavior of, of your software application. Um, so logs and metrics... Um, and usually people, you know, throw in distributed traces there too, in terms of, uh, kind of telemetry types. Um, and you know, others would also like to throw in profiles, events, and exceptions as other kinds of telemetry. Um, but these are, these are types of telemetry. Um, it's kind of important to note, I think that like telemetry, uh, is just data, right? As any kind of BI vendor would tell you a bunch of raw data doesn't help, right? You need to be able to make sense of it, right? So when we talk about observability, right? Observability is kind of the property of the system that that speaks to how well you can understand the state of that system. Or, you know, in other words, it's kind of how well you're able to turn your telemetry into understanding and insight. Um, you know, Aaron earlier, or I think Brian mentioned you were collecting lots of telemetry about your training, right? And what is that for? It's to help you get understanding into how your, you know, body is evolving, right? And how it's working and, um, you know, whether you're seeing the improvements that you expect. And to be able to do that, right, you're probably analyzing that telemetry somewhere and trying to get observability into into your own body, right? So that's kind of how uh, I guess I would... define those terms. Does that make sense? No, makes perfect sense. And then, and then, so let's take that one step further then. And so now let's talk about open telemetry a little bit, right? So there's open telemetry and and the open telemetry project. And and how does that fit into this kind of bigger picture? Sure. So, you know, open telemetry, uh, you know, it's a open source project um, and an open standard for, standardizing kind of telemetry data types or signals as they call them, right? Including kind of the associated data models and semantic conventions. Uh, Standardize a set of APIs and reference implementations of those to generate those signals. Uh, It's a network protocol um, for uh, communicating or for transmitting um, those signals and an agent like tool called the collector to aggregate process and route kind of those signals using that protocol to a user's destination of choice. So open telemetry is, is really kind of, it's about producing a standard way for people, uh, to generate telemetry. So everyone can actually focus on the making sense part of it, right? Which is where like the value is really derived, right? So open telemetry's goals are are to make the generation of telemetry kind of vendor neutral and have vendors compete on, uh, you know, the value they're delivering to you uh, in terms of the sense making and not their ability to kind of like lock you in uh, behind, behind their instrumentation or at least, yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think, frankly, it's a pretty awesome value proposition. And I think that's why the project is seeing the adoption that it is. It's a thriving community, tons of participants. I think it's second only to Kubernetes uh, in the CNCF landscape. Yeah. <clears throat> Telemetry has always been, uh, I mean, th- this whole space has, has always been, um, you know, kind of an interesting trade-off. It, it's, you know, if you, if you ask any any team, they They'd like to have as much data as possible, as many signals as possible, as much visibility as what's happening. And, and it always has a trade-off between how much to collect or, you know, can you collect it fast enough and then store enough of it and then be able to actually, you know, rationalize over a process and so forth. What are what are some of the things that that have evolved in that space in terms of maybe making that trade-off more more favorable for teams so they can they can collect more or or what are some of the you know kind of kind of best practices that you see people use around open telemetry does it you know is it does it depend on company size is it mostly how much data they create like what you know what what does it look like for for companies these days yeah i mean i think the answer to this question is highly context dependent right um and there're going to be differences in large companies and small companies with regard to like how heterogeneous their observability landscape is um, and pressures to consolidate that um, there's in terms of like the, how much data, right. It's fundamentally trading off cost and application overhead or performance overhead with data quality and completeness. Right. And this is that trade off is going to be different um, depending on what you're looking at uh, and what the company needs, right? Uh, you probably want total completeness in your checkout flow if you're an e-commerce company. Um, you probably don't care so much about health checks, right? That's the the, the usual example. Um, and you probably want to sample those pretty heavily. You You probably do care a lot about errors, right? Um, or really slow requests, but you probably don't care all that much about, you know, requests that were just fine um, and, and at, you know, median latency. Um, in terms of kind of trends in the space, I mean, you know, sampling, sampling is, is hard. Um, this is why you see kind of a lot of vendors offering solutions in this space. Um, it's 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 a complex topic that is not easy to really abstract away from users, right? Even if, if you use, let's say you have all the controls in the world to tune your sampling, uh, you still need to know, like, okay, well, what's my budget, right? Um, what do I really care about, and what do these rates actually translate to? Um, and operating uh, from an operational perspective, well, actually, let me step back a little bit. So, like, you know, typically when we talk about sampling, there's head-based sampling versus tail-based sampling. There's some other stuff in there, but that, those are kind of like the two major categories. And head-based sampling is you're making your sampling decisions up front, um, you know, typically based on some rate, either uh, for your endpoint, your application, your host, etc. And you're kind of going for statistical statistical representation. Um, whereas tail-based sampling, you're making sampling decisions based on the outcome of the request, right? Was this an error? Uh, was it slow? Um, and you can make kind of better decisions. But of course, it's a lot more expensive to implement, 
right? Um, and for tail-based sampling, you now need to kind of collect all of your traces in order to make those decisions. So you're going to be dealing with that overhead. Um, you need somewhere to collect those traces and actually make those decisions. Maybe you operate that yourself, which is a lot of operational complexity. Maybe you, um, you know, offload that to a vendor, um, which you're probably pay paying for. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it's difficult. Like there are, there are companies that are including Datadog now offering, kind of solutions for for aggregating in 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 the kind of your own um kind of architecture or environment right before sending on to some back end and, and trying to lower costs that way um so that you're shipping less data over the wire paying less egress paying for less storage um but again uh, and so there, there's some, there, there are lots of knobs. I guess this is to say there are lots of knobs out there and, and there's a lot of innovation in this space, but the fundamental problem is hard to abstract is you really need to know what you care about, um, in order to make good decisions. And that rabbit hole goes pretty deep. Yeah. 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 Gordon, I was going to say that I, I really like the, that concept of the knobs, right? Because I think the biggest problem that I, I've seen in this space is, is definitely, signal to noise ratio, it can get overwhelming really, really quickly. And I think open telemetry and some of these other things are going a long way towards dialing all of this in and kind of fixing this over time. So maybe let's, let's go back to that real quickly for a second. How does Datadog offer open telemetry to customers today? And, and also kind of a follow on to that is how has that evolved over time or, or how has the standard itself evolved? Yeah, um, certainly, certainly, Datadog support has definitely evolved quite a bit um, uh, as the standard has and as the ecosystem has. Um, in terms of you know how we support kind of open telemetry today, it's it's actually you know there's there's the kind of basic answer. Uh, we have a Datadog exporter for the open telemetry collector um, that allows you to get data into our backend that way. Um, our Datadog agent um, also uh, supports kind of ingesting data over OTLP, um, so you can use it alongside, for example, the Hotel SDKs. Um, but like, I think a, a more interesting question is like, what what does it mean to support Open Telemetry as a as a vendor? Right? Is it is it just allowing you to get data in? Um, is it like experience, uh, product experience parity? Um, and this is where I think we're evolving pretty quickly at Datadog. Um, so, you know, our goal, you know, frankly, our goal is to be, you know, if you're, if you're using Hotel, uh, to be the best place, the best place to send that data, right. And make sense of it. Um, and, to kind of support people in that, um, you got to kind of meet them where they're at. And so to talk a little bit about how our kind of support has evolved, you know, maybe a year and a half ago, we didn't really have um, a clear approach to supporting open telemetry. So, you know, most of our support was, was fairly ad hoc, um, kind of reactive based on, you know, specific customer uh, requests, that sort of thing. Um, but as the ecosystem evolved, right, uh, as 
adoption has grown, you know, it's become pretty clear, I think, to anybody playing in the space that like open telemetry is is a big part of observability's future, right? It's not going anywhere. It's only growing. The value prop, as I said earlier, is a really compelling one and people are adopting it quickly. And we saw that with our own customers, right? Um, and as, as a result, you know, we, we, uh, company got together and, and realized we had to, we had to have something more, more coherent in terms of our approach. And that's actually kind of, uh, where, where I came into the picture, right. To help us kind of realize, um, our strategy for supporting open telemetry. Um, Datadog, like, you know, a number of the vendors that have been around for a while had already built out lots of our own kind of proprietary tooling, right? We have our agent, we have our kind of proprietary SDKs. Um, and so when something like Hotel comes along, you know, there's a question of um, what do you do with that, right? Do you um, replace your own with the new thing? Do you... Uh, go for compatibility. Um, how do you provide support? And the approach we've kind of taken is uh, about compatibility, right? So, for example, we've recently released W3C trace context support in our uh, in our own instrumentation, um, as well as a few other things in the pipeline that make it easy for customers who are using open telemetry, uh, starting to adopt it within their infrastructure to make sure, you know, things like traces are all connected and they're not having to make a hard choice of one versus the other, right? And this is where, you know, things like OTLP and just the agent come into play. Um, and, uh, you know, our goal, our goal is for people, you know, if you're a Datadog, existing Datadog customer using Datadog stuff, you should be able to uh, experiment with open telemetry, start adopting it if, if, if that's what you want. Um, and that should be easy. That should be frictionless. Um, we shouldn't, um, you know, we shouldn't degrade your experience when you're doing so. Um, but the other part is, you know, people often ask us uh, why, you know, why you, why do you still have your own agent? Why do you still have, uh, why are you still investing in your own instrumentation and tracers if if you believe in open telemetry? And the answer is pretty straightforward, right? Like we have a lot of products um, that are not kind of covered by open telemetry, right? So for example, we have a continuous profiler. Um, we have uh, application security management, um, things like dynamic instrumentation, which allow you to like debug code and add breakpoints to like live code that's running in production. Uh, and this stuff is baked into our tracers, right? And that's not something that we can just kind of shove upstream into open telemetry uh, because they're, you know, highly unique experiences to Datadog. And now, for example, open telemetry is exp uh, exploring uh, profiling as a potential new signal. And we're very much involved in those conversations. But, you know, while some of this stuff plays out, there's always going to be some delta between, um, you know, our product portfolio and the things we're doing and then what is kind of available upstream. And so that's, that's really kind of the reason why, why we maintain both. And we're, we're, we're currently taking this compatibility approach. Um, you know, yeah. oh, sorry. And that, well, and that makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think, while while people sometimes want to be very purist about you know why aren't you 
doing the latest and greatest with whatever's, you know, open source or what's new. It's, you know, the reality is, you know, you, you have existing customers that expect you to continue to support whatever they were doing. Um, and like you said, uh, you know, open source is different than you build it yourself. You, you know, one company doesn't just get to set the tone for what happens. I mean, that's actually the, the characteristic of a good open community, right? So, yeah. you know, I think the fact that you're like, well, we can't just shove this in the community is, is actually a good thing. It says that it's, you know, whatever, whatever is trying to happen needs broad consensus from the community needs to play out over a bunch of interesting use cases. And, you know, and like you said, at the same time, there's things that you guys do that are either, you know, specific to the Datadog cloud or, you know, your customers may not all be at that point. They're, they're used to using those other things. So it, I think it makes a ton of sense the way you guys are going after it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In that, in that same context, uh, I guess maybe on the, on the flip side of, of the open source things, what are some of the things for people that are watching open telemetry as a project? Um, what are some of the new things that maybe people should be keeping an eye out for or stuff that, you know, is being talked about maybe behind the scenes and, and might be, you know, coming out in the next three months, six months, uh, type of type of thing. What's what are the big trends in open telemetry people should be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, there is a ton of innovation happening in in open telemetry right now, and honestly, it just it seems to just be accelerating as as more people kind of uh, get involved with the project, start using it within their own companies, um, uh, and adopt it. Um, so, I mean, current things going on. Uh, Let's see. I mean, one of the things that's happening right now is there's a really strong uh, push that's kicked off to nail down the uh, hotel semantic conventions and get the kind of final pieces of the core kind of signals, APIs, um, it's SDKs that aren't yet kind of stable to that point uh, of, of being declared stable. Um and around that, I mean, I, I mentioned uh, profiling. There's that profiling SIG that uh, kicked off, uh, I guess, in in 2022. I was going to say earlier this year, but I guess that's technically last year. Um, and, you know, there's some really great discussions are happening around, like, what, you know, the, like, what should be standardized around profiling what format what protocols um and that's for folks interested in that stuff i'd, I'd highly rent, recommend kind of attending that sig or dropping in uh watching some of those meetings um the e ebpf is uh as i'm sure you folks are aware a a pretty big topic in observability these days um there was an ebpf collector that was donated to um, open telemetry uh, fairly recently. And that is something I keep my eye on. I think there's a lot of interesting things that can come from that, right? And that's, you know, from, uh, you know, lighting up all of your, well, it's all the same things that you'd expect from from any sort of kind of like eBPF implementation, getting kind of uh, endpoint specific uh, telemetry about your requests, Um just kind of like out of the box, right? Um, no code instrumentation, no anything, just kind of like drop it in and light up your your kind of infrastructure and network. Um, 
And so I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in where that goes. eBPF is pretty powerful. There's a lot of cool things you can do with that. Um, and it's still very, very early. And I think ideas are still being played with there. Um, there is the OPAMP specification that stands for uh, Open Agent Management Protocol, which is something I've also been following uh, and I found pretty interesting. Basically, it's a uh, set of APIs implemented by the collector that allow you to kind of control it remotely so for example um you could uh, a vendor could uh connect to it and allow their customers to kind of remotely control a fleet of collectors right provide a kind of control plane and management panel for for configuring and controlling their collectors uh remotely which i think is pretty powerful i mean we talked about uh things like um tail-based sampling earlier, right? And how hard it is to operate that. Um, and things like op-amp uh, have the potential to to provide some interesting kind of solutions in that space. Um, so that's something I'm also keeping an eye on. I think some vendors, uh, maybe one or two, have actually already um, come out with some distros taking advantage of that protocol. Um, and I mean, even going back to the core, right, there's still a lot of in innovation happening in the collector itself. Um, it continues to evolve, um, you know, and the various receivers, new receivers being added, uh, existing receivers becoming more mature. Um, I mean, I don't know. This is just some of the stuff off the top of my head. There is there's a ton of activity. If you drop into the, you know, CNCF Slack and just type in, you know, go to channel search, type in hotel dash, you're going to see a whole ton of things, um, all of which are pretty active. Um, and, you know, I'd recommend people do that and just kind of drop in on whatever seems interesting. Nice, nice. So, Gordon, um, I'm going to ask you one last question and then we'll close it out. I want to be sensitive uh, to your time. This is goes more to to your career that we kind of opened with. Um, I mean, as mentioned, you've done some very large scale infrastructure in your career. So, what are some kind of tips or, or or tricks that you'd give to anybody trying to build out or scale observability environments? Hmm. That is that is a good one. Um, oh, let's see. What tips do I have? Um, I can think of a think of a few things come to mind. Um, a few things come to mind, kind of based on my own experiences. Obviously, your mileage will vary, uh, but the first is standardize to the extent possible. Standardize your your instrumentation, right? Um, having people using the same instrumentation, the same uh, libraries, uh, the same formats is really going to simplify your life. It makes for uh, easy data interoperability. Um, it allows your users, right? The actual developers writing this application code. It allows their knowledge to travel with them throughout the code base and the company, right? Um, and it's really just going to make your life easier over time. Um and you know when possible leverage open standards for that for that instrumentation right um you know one of the challenges i faced at at a, at a meta when i worked there was that the 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 trace model there was is not a span based model there's actually a paper about it called canopy um somewhat dated but um still directionally correct um and 
it was a powerful model, but one of the big issues was that it was a huge learning curve, right? For, for new hires, for people trying to ramp up because it didn't look like any other model out there, right? People are expecting, they hear distributed traces, they're expecting spans. We didn't even have spans. Um, and it was, that caused a lot of friction um, and really, you know, especially around adoption, Um and required the team to be a lot more involved in kind of implementations um, and instrumentation in different parts of the code base than, than uh, we certainly would have wanted to be. Um, so yeah, leverage, leverage standards. Um, people know them, people learn them. Um, another is, and we talked about this earlier, right? Sampling is hard for everyone, users, operators. Um, and you know, it's if you can uh, if you can offload this problem to a vendor, this is an actual place where I'd say um, it can be useful to do it or offload it to some some tool um, because you know it's it's kind of a no win business to be in, right? Um, users are going to want more data, more uh, refinements. Uh, then you can typically offer them based on your budget if you're building one yourself, right? Unless you're an actual vendor, um, uh, and even then, it's 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 uh, they still want more than you're probably able to provide for the price they want to pay. Um, and you know, then it's a huge education challenge, right? In terms of uh, working with them to figure out what the right things are so that they can get the most value. So anyway, it's, it's a hard problem, and if you can offload it, you should offload it. Um, and I guess the final one I'll say is, uh, you know, develop, developing like a culture of observability is pretty critical, especially if you're kind of building out um, your own environment, right? It's it's generally hard to translate the cost of kind of operations, uh, building and maintaining this environment um, and scaling it. Um, or paying the vendor bills associated with it, it's hard to translate that cost into the business value like your company is getting from it. And they're definitely getting value from it, right? But unless the company values observability, you know, you're always going to be in this kind of uphill battle of trying to justify what you're doing um, versus, you know, just having buy-in uh, and really just talking talking about uh, enabling, you know, different teams, different products um, internally. So having that kind of culture observability is is very important. Um, you know, and that can be hard to do if you're, you know, kind of an engineer that's on a team at a big company. Um, but just know that if you're building your own, your own platform, um, it will likely be seen as a cost center. And so you really want to understand how you're de delivering value um, and how to talk about that. Uh, it'll just make your life easier. So um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think that's all at the moment. Oh, that's perfect. Gordon. Thank you very much for that. So what I'm going to do is close us out from there. Thank you very much for your time this week, Gordon. And thank you everyone for listening as well. And if you enjoy the show, please, if you 
get your podcast and you can leave a review, please leave us a review. If you enjoy the podcast, um, tell a friend as well. And so on behalf of Brian and myself, uh, we certainly thank Gordon for your time. Thank everyone for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 